and welcome to the podcast. It's the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. I'm the editor, Matt Hudson. Today we are sharing with you an episode from one of our sibling publications, and that's Ratchet & Wrench Magazine. And I wanted to share this uh, episode with our listeners because it touches on a lot of great topics that I like to report on here for National Oil & Lube News. Um, this episode that I'm about to share, it touches on kind of the general, the future of shop ownership and operatorship. And, you know, it, it means dealing with younger workforce, the labor issues we've all experienced, and, and hoping that younger people get more interested in automotive fields and coming up through the, the labor and career pipelines. That's important. Also, you know, the future of automobiles in general, working with electric vehicles, highly uh, technologically advanced vehicles. And then also uh, this episode that you'll hear touches more generally on just the topic of being a leader, adapting to change, and really setting up yourself and your business for being adaptive to uh, be successful for years to come. And that's obviously at the top of uh, most operators' minds, I'm sure, and it's a huge topic. So I hope you'll enjoy this bit of a crossover type episode. Um, you will hear Ratchet Wrench editor Chris Jones speak with Andrew Marcotte, who's the general manager of American Pride Automotive. It's a, a multi-shop operation uh, based out of a few towns over in Virginia. And, um, you know, you'll hear Andrew talk about his work, how he got started at American Pride Automotive, um, some current events they'll speak on, you know, the EV legislation and funding that we've seen come through. And then, like I said, talking more generally about being an early adapter to technology and change, being aware of those changes and how they might affect your business. Um, and then making your shop just a, a positive place in the community as you kind of adapt to your customer needs, which of course is central to the quick loop model. Uh, those businesses in the industry can be highly adaptive and really at the front lines of that great customer service that we like to um, put in our magazine and, and kind of show off what operators are doing. So enjoy this episode. And from there, I'll let editor Chris Jones take it away. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you come from a few generations of men in auto care, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad and my grandfather started the American Pride Automotive back in 1995, um, really spearheaded by my father um, with my grandpa there to kind of help out. Um, so I guess technically I'm third generation. Wow, goes back a little bit. Nice, very nice. So, and I read that you were about, I guess, about three years old when you were kind of palling around the shop when your dad got started. Yeah, no, some of my earliest memories are in the shop. Um, when I was a kid, they used to, you know, quote unquote, give me jobs and stuff like that. I'd run around the shop with oil dry and cleaning up oil spills and um, harassing technicians, hiding tools and playing on creepers and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's uh, some of my earliest memories, like I said, are, are running around causing havoc. Yeah. And so you joined the company as the general manager in 2017. Like, when did you realize you were interested in joining the family business? Um, it's really something I've always wanted to do. Um, so when I was uh, when I was little, you know, I had a ton of respect for my father um, and everything that he was doing. Um, going out there with with little to no training, um, you know, starting a finding a way to make ends meet and be able to support your family um, is something that you know I really admired. Um, I'd say probably. You know, by the time I was late into middle school, early into high school, um, I knew that coming back and becoming part of the family business um, and continuing continuing what he had started, um, you know, had a had a special place in my heart. Um, I didn't want to, 
you know, I was, I was very worried about optics. I uh, didn't want to, you know, come straight out of high school and, and come and work for him and kind of learn management and leadership um, on the job. Um, I wanted to, do, to develop my own styles. Um, if, I, if I worked for him forever, I, I would just emulate a lot of what he's done. But I think diversity brings a lot of um, benefit to the table. So I um, went off to uh, play football in college at Virginia Military Institute. Um, got a lot of leadership training there um, through ROTC commitments and uh, my time as a, as a fo- on the football team as well. Um, served as a captain my last two years there. Um, and then worked for Target and distribution as an operations manager for um, about four years following graduation um, before making the move to come back to Williamsburg and continue the uh, the family tradition. Okay. And that brings you to my next question. Something that your dad said about American Pride Auto is, you know, it's who we are. That matters more than what we do. So, like, who is American Pride as a company? And then how do those values become evident to your customers and what you do? So our company is is very service driven. Um, I'd say we kind of epitomize servant leadership. Um, we realize that there's a need out in the community um, where people need to be um, need their vehicles maintained and repaired. Um, you know, we look at automotive repair as a commodity. Um, you can go anywhere and get it done. You know, any of the dealers can replace brakes or flush fluids and and fix issues there. You know, there's a ton of independents that can do the same thing. Um, we need to find a way to give people a reason to choose us um, to be able to take care of those needs for them. It's money they're going to spend anyway um, by keeping their vehicle maintained, but giving them a why um, is important. So we are very tied to our community um, as a partner, and that's really what we aim to do is be a productive member of the communities that we serve. Um, So York County and James City County primarily as well as the surrounding um, counties as well. People are, are traveling to come and see us. Um, so we we have state inspections in Virginia, and we're, we're looking for ways to, um, like I said, give people a reason to come in and use us for those routine maintenance and stuff like that. So when we have the state inspection program, we donate $5 from every state inspection that's done to a local nonprofit um, in order to kind of progress their um, their agenda and be able to do some good in the community. Um, we are trusted resources for a lot of these nonprofits when it comes to taking care of the um, people who need a hand up. Um, so if, you know, local uh, Catholic church who do a lot of work with um, has a parishioner who needs a car to get back and forth to work and it's, it's not in safe condition, they'll send it to us for an honest opinion um, of is this car worth fixing? If it is, how can we you know, be creative about fixing this, keep it safe? Um, while being respectful of, of budgetary concerns and stuff like that, if somebody is in a, in a kind of a tight spot. Um, on top of that, you know, my biggest driving uh, factor is to provide um, a, a career where people can be productive members of the community as well, can, can work their way into home ownership, um, can be proud of, of where they work. If they go out, go out um, for a meal at lunch or something like that, and they have the American Pride logo on their chest. They're not. They're not going to be trying to hide it up. They're not going to put a jacket on so people don't know where they work or anything like that. It's something they can be proud of. Um, we we emulate service with integrity is kind of our motto, um, and everything that we do is uh, wearing that on our sleeves to make sure that that people know that the recommendations we're making truly are needed. Back that up with digital inspections to provide pictures of our recommendations, um, and and give honest feedback. Um, on a vehicle's condition, 
we tell people every day that some cars aren't worth fixing. It might be time to replace this um, because of the extent of the repairs and the value of the vehicle. Um, where other shops who might be more transactional based would try to, you know, squeeze everything that out of a vehicle for what it's worth, um, put a customer back on the road knowing it might not have been a wise investment. We'd like to thank Kendall for their sponsorship of this episode of the Nolan Podcast. To learn about how Kendall Motor Oil's high mileage booster can deliver the added protection from sludge and rust that vehicles need, please visit KendallHMB.com. That's KendallHMB.com. Very good. And so in today's auto care industry, of course, it's not like the, the one we saw growing up. As kids, you know, it's a completely different ball game in a lot of ways. Uh, and as someone who grew up in the shop, Andrew, tell us some of the changes and trends you've witnessed over the past decade or so, just being exposed to the shop uh, as it was and as it is now. Sure. Um, so a lot of the changes that I know about uh, might have even happened before my time. You know, my dad um, back in 1995 and even before that, just as a side business, um, worked on a lot of really weird and really unique situations. And we have some technicians who have been technicians for a long time that work for us. Um, and I remember hearing vivid stories about when, you know, we went into fuel injection versus carbureted engines um, and how that was going to be the end of automotive repair because things became that much more efficient. Um, they didn't break down that often. Same thing when we went from drum brakes to disc brakes. Um, and now we're kind of on the verge of another transition um, I'm sure, as you know, and probably a lot of listeners as well, um, GM has come out with a, kind of a, by 2035, they want to have all of their their lines essentially electronic or electric um, EV vehicles. Um, you know, Tesla is obviously coming onto the scene and making a big splash as far as that's concerned. And that seems to be the cutting edge of vehicle technology. Um, and as we're making that transition away from internal combustion into the EV market, um, should it ever become as big of a deal as they're saying, um, it's it's going to change a lot in this industry. Um, obviously, they're, the point of failures, um, while they still exist, are different. Um, they, they're not going to fail the same way that internal combustion engines do. Um, you know, maintenance will always be there. They'll still need tires. They'll still need fluid exchanges. Um, it's it's going to be more remove and replace as far as motors and um, doing electrical repairs and stuff like that. Okay, and let's talk about modern automotive technology just for a minute. So, like the Biden administration talked about a hundred, you know, a hundred seventy-four billion dollar boost to EVs, and of course, the big three auto manufacturers in Detroit have been talking about wanting to go to a fifty percent EV production by twenty thirty. Mm-hmm. So, how do shop owners feel about EVs right now? And then, how do traditional uh, auto shops prepare for that transition? I think a lot of shop owners are really intimidated by the move to EV. You know, obviously there there's dangers to the the work that we do right now. Um, but as these EVs become bigger and bigger, there's 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 a lot of different dangers that happen. I guess you know everybody who has ever replaced the hybrid battery on a Prius knows how important it is to have the proper equipment um, as far as the you know the gloves make sure that you're not going to get arced and, and shocked and have any kind of major issues there. Um, EVs obviously take that to the next step. You know, we haven't seen a lot of the EV vehicles kind of coming through the shops yet. Um, we know it's on the horizon, um, especially as the manufacturers open up the right to repair information so that we have the, the necessary information to be able to go in there and, and do the necessary repairs. Um, that being said, there it's not something we can really run from. 
Um, it's something that's coming regardless of whether we're ready or not. So the best thing that we can do is invest in our people and our technology and our facilities to be able to handle these situations. Um, we, we're very training focused um, as far as our, our company is concerned. Um, we're part of the Transformers group out in Colorado Springs for, for management training, um, ownership training, and then you know sales training as well. Um, utilize a lot of the local uh, local options as far as technician training and stuff like that's concerned. Um, but anytime you see an, an, an EV or a hybrid training course come up, you know, we need to be able to take advantage of that. So when those opportunities start to roll through, um, we're, we're able to, to help the customer um, and be able to maintain that vehicle. And then it'll put us on the cutting edge once the the big splash is made and you know the majority of the the vehicles and stuff like that become the ev market okay now would you say that you guys are kind of like the more the early adopters in terms of understanding evs wanting to move forward in that direction uh, with your shop or do you feel like you guys are um going to come up come a little bit later in the in the process i would say in our area um we're early adopters when you look at the um the country as a whole, we probably lag behind. Um, so Virginia is not on the cutting edge of vehicular technology. Um, we don't see a lot of the EVs. Tesla is not a huge name out here. I know out in California and some of the more Western spots that are more kind of tech savvy um, have a much bigger, uh, I guess, uh, breakdown of these EVs as, as, as their customer base. Um, so we're definitely, behind the the guys that are out west that are cutting edge um but i'd say in our area we're we're definitely one of the more progressive um style companies when it comes to being able to handle this uh changing technology that's coming our way um and again that really just comes down to empowering our people and offering them opportunities to um test their skill set to go get training and to um kind of back that training up with opportunities we're providing them that are coming through the door okay now, do you feel like, you know, being a younger, being a younger person in a shop environment, do you feel like you have more of an advantage with technology as you've been exposed to it almost your entire life, as opposed to an older technician who hasn't had the same exposure? Do you feel like his learning curve is going to be a lot more steep as he, as we get more into EVs? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely a, an advantage to, you know, growing up before in a time where you never knew a time without the internet, you know, obviously it came up. Um, when I was in my younger stages and I can remember the dial-up tones and stuff like that. Um, but I was having a conversation with my dad a couple of years ago talking about book reports and stuff like that. And I never saw that much of an issue with book reports. If you have a, a question or want validation, you just Google the whatever you want. And now that Google's a verb, we can say that. Um, but back in the day when my dad was writing these reports and stuff like that, they had to pull out encyclopedias and actually do some research and I can't imagine how inefficient that was, how much time it took to, to be able to come up with those kind of answers. Um, that being said, nowadays, the ability to research a problem and pinpoint an issue using tools such as All Data and Identifix, um, sometimes YouTube, um, if that's what it comes to, um, if you're struggling to find an answer. Um, being a good researcher um, is paramount in being a good diagnostician. Um, especially as electric vehicles are coming through the uh, through the shops, you're going to see more unique problems. Um, in the dealer world, we see a lot of technicians who are really good at um, R and Ring, you know, different kind of parts. Um, 
of doing the traditional types of repairs that come through resealing engines and stuff like that. But we've hired a lot of technicians from the dealers that really struggle to think creatively and come up with solutions to unique issues um, when it comes to complicated electrical diagnosis, um, ground problems, anything that's out of the ordinary. Um, or you take somebody who's very proficient on maybe Fords and you, uh, Nissan rolls into their bay and they're like a duck out of water. Um, just very, very, uh, very uncomfortable with that situation. Um, so we we definitely stress that um, that that training aspect to make sure that the older technicians who are making the transition to come work with American Pride are comfortable with those avenues, doing that kind of uh, doing that kind of research, and becoming more and more comfortable using all the tools at their disposal. Okay, and so is there a lot of good training like coming on the horizon for EVs and hybrids and more modern vehicles? We've seen it start to trickle through. Um, so from a technician standpoint, um, COVID has really thrown a wrench into our traditional training methods. Um, we used to do a lot through the CTI classes through CarQuest. Um, now all that's kind of transitioned to online, which I feel like technicians struggle learning from as opposed to the hands-on that we used to have at our disposal. Um, so it's really on us to remain you know, vigilant in finding these opportunities and providing new ways of learning. Um, CTI has a great online program now that we can utilize to, um, to put people through. There's a, a really good scoping class on the Pico scopes, oscilloscope style scopes um, that we've put a couple of our technicians through to get the nuts and bolts of that. And then obviously highlighting areas where they can use those scopes to their full um, advantage on vehicles that come through the shops for efficient diagnosis and accurate diagnosis. Um, we've also looked at some other outside partners. ATG has come on to the scene here um, and is offering some, some really good classes that I've gotten some really good feedback from our guys on um, in the area. Requires a little more traveling. They, they're kind of, uh, they do their courses out of the more uh, urban areas in the, in the Virginia region around us. So it's about 30 minutes from where we're located. Um, so just a, a little less convenient than what we're used to, but um, still things that we're, we're having to pivot to to utilize everything in our disposal. Okay. And so when it comes to the shops themselves, um, for, you know, working on electronic vehicles, do you have to make any specific adjustments or changes to the shop to make it so that you can take those vehicles in? Not really at this point, you know, as they become a bigger and bigger portion of the vehicles that we're working on, I'm sure there's going to be some adjustments that are needed to be made. Um, really, the main thing at this point is ensuring that all the, the safety equipment is available to our technicians to be able to work on it in a safe way. That's not putting them or their lives or their coworkers' lives at risk. Okay. And so on the ownership side, you know, kind of on the side that you, that you work on predominantly, um, you know, your father built the, you know, American Pride to five locations from, you told me, I think you told me from a storage unit. Yep. Uh, how has is, how is the barrier of entry changed since then? Because of course, nowadays you can't do that. You can't just shade tree it like you used to back in the day, you actually have to do a whole lot of hoop jumping. Well, it's it's incredible. Um, so we, we've done a really good job um, traditionally of, you know, find, buying a building and building a business. Um, so not essentially buying a, an existing automotive repair facility. Um, the, the first location that he bought was back in 2005, as far as the real estate was concerned. Um, and it was a tractor repair facility before that. So we never worked on passenger vehicles. Um, There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went in on the weekends and during the weeks in order to prepare that facility to be able to handle um, the type of work that we're going to be doing to it. 
Um, in 2010, we opened up this, or I guess he opened up this before I came on, um, the second location um, in Williamsburg that was set up to sell John Deere equipment. Um, so again, a lot of building modifications and then starting with a book of business that didn't exist. Um, third location used to be a boat repair facility and then was converted into a church before we took it over. So again, a lot of modifications. Um, the fourth location that we bought back in 2020, um, I, I was on board for, so this is after I'd come over and taken on the daily operation. Um, we bought an existing business for the first time and we were shocked by how expensive it was. And you know, when you're buying a book of business and a, a, a company that's currently turning revenue and, and is obviously supporting the owner and then a couple employees as well, um, you're obviously paying up for that opportunity. But after doing that, um, having a building that's completely set up, we closed on a Wednesday and we're open for business on a Thursday. And that was not something that we were um, used to. And then we're able to make the necessary adjustments to kind of bring it up to our brand standard from there. But as you're buying an older, more outdated um, asset in the business, um, there's a lot of modifications that are needing to be done that are expensive, especially when you're trying to do them while operating. So our fourth and fifth acquisitions were both existing repair facilities that came with a book of business, um, with lifts, with employees, um, with customer histories, all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's there's a lot of turnover of customer base when you're buying a, a business that doesn't necessarily operate like the one that you run. Um, as people are either deciding to continue to do business with you or that you're not the one to meet their needs. Um, and then kind of building the business back up um, to a sustainable portion, which, which we're really good at. Um, that being said, buried entry is high higher now than it ever has been for sure. Um, you know, we bought an existing business that was doing, you know, was profitable prior to our ownership um, back in December and have have sunk, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars into it to bring it up to our standards and spend a lot of time there um, making the adjustments necessary to make sure that it, it's on brand with the other locations that we have. Um, equipment is expensive. You know, when you're talking OE um, scan equipment, specialty tools, um, you know, flush machines, lifts, computer equipment, phone systems, security systems. I mean, the list goes on and on as far as stuff that you need to in order to, to run a really legitimate business and be able to take care of people's needs at a high level. Um, but it, it's really the difference between kind of dabbling in something and jumping in two feet and making sure that you can, you can do it correctly and do it the right way. Okay. Now, you know, you've come into this from a, from a slightly different angle. I mean, of course, you know, you have the guys who have worked lifelong in the shop, who've gone from being technicians to owning and running the business themselves versus you who comes from like a, a leadership and an education background where you worked on the opposite side, more the corporate type things. Um, how, like, how has that been different for you in terms of, you know, how, how the business is run from your perspective as opposed to the perspective of a technician who runs the business? Sure. So I look at that as really a benefit. Um, you see a lot of shop owners who have kind of happened their way into shop ownership. You know, their technicians become business people. Um, and in a lot of cases, they struggle to make the transition to, to being a business person. Um, and rather than I would say, I, I like to put it like this, they, they own their job. They don't necessarily own their business because if they're removed from it, um, that business struggles to run. Um, you know, one of my biggest goals is to run and empower 
the people that work with or work for American Pride to be able to operate in in my absence um, and, and train them and develop them and really work yourself out of a job so you can free yourself up to work on bigger and bigger picture things. Um, setting up the framework, building the systems, hiring people to run the systems and empowering them to do it the right way and giving them that trust um, is, is really in my mind the key to success versus you know, a technician who ends up buying the shop that they've always worked for um, and knows the customer base, but they're also having to be back there turning the wrench while um, conversing with the customer and recommending work and doing the books after hours late into the night and sacrificing on the family side there um, versus uh, somebody with my background can come in um, and while doing a lot of learning on the job, you know, I'll put that out there, being corporate and then going into small business is very different. Um, but I'm able to look at it as how can I work on this business to improve it for everybody involved, um, either as a customer or an employee, um, to, to further their life um, and, and, and their, meet their expectations um, versus how can I tread water fast enough to make sure this place isn't going to sink. Um, and that really comes down to, to trust, um, putting people in, in hiring well, um, promoting from within wherever possible, um, being very selective in the hiring process to make sure the people you're bringing in mesh with your, uh, your mode of operation um, and, your, and your company culture, um, stressing that very, very heavily on the hiring side, um, providing them the tools and systems to be successful um, and then you know, course correcting and offering guidance and coaching where needed to make sure that um, everything's running the way it should and then everything else kind of falls into place. Yeah, and something else I think um, when it comes to younger business owners today as opposed to some of the, some of the older guys who used to run shops is that uh, there's a better and deeper understanding of how, how branding works, how marketing works, how, um, how to work within the framework of the business being a team effort as opposed to an owner, you know, owner top down thing, but it's more of a collaborative effort amongst the owner and the people who are on the team. Do you notice that as well? Yeah, for sure. So the, the business that we just bought had been in operation since 1980 and um, had, had two owners prior to us, a guy named Carl and then a guy named Ron. Um, and when people came through the door, they were used to dealing with these people in particular. So that, that business wasn't the business, that business was the person that they're typically used to dealing with. Um, they were very organically grown, you know, word of mouth, small operations where the, the owner never really looked to scale or just never scaled for whatever reason. Um, and they, in my mind, they never really took the, the step to work on the business. They were continuing to work in it and they were being the face of it, kind of just building off what I said earlier. Um, as far as branding and stuff like that, the customer is very different now nowadays than they've ever been in the past. Um, you know, nowadays it's not good enough to fix a car and fix it well. Um, people are looking for um, somebody who's also being a productive member of the community who can um, who can go out and and be a lot of the other intangible things they're looking for as far as lining up with their belief systems, um, being able to to be there and being, being an advocate for them um, while fixing the car well and treating them with the utmost respect, um, standing behind their work um, and all that kind of stuff as well. 
um, it, it, it's a lot different. Um, the, the millennials are a, a little different clientele than, than what a lot of the older shop owners are used to. Um, used to be that there wasn't as much uh, pricing pushback, but nowadays when you know, you're selling a water pump, you're pitching the sale to the customer, letting them know like, yeah, this really is needed. Um, here's the cost of the repair. Then they're going on to Amazon and Amazoning the water pump. And well, if you're going to charge me $500, how come I can buy this water pump for 50 bucks? Um, and trying to have to navigate that conversation is a little different. Um, so being able to sell the value and what you're bringing to the table um, is is more important now than ever. Wow, that's, that is so true. And that's a great point. Yeah, because you know, the internet has made people very consumer conscious. <laughs> yes, it's it has. Help people to understand that, you know, okay, this is the value of the part. But I think that, like you said, it's being able to tell them the stuff that they don't see, all the intangibles, like, well, here's the cost of the labor. Here's the time that we put into it. All the stuff they don't see. Because, of course, yeah, the price of the pump is the price of the pump. But it's yep. all the other stuff that they know they can't do, but don't realize they can't do it. So you tell them they can't do it. Yeah, most people don't understand how expensive it is to truly operate a business, especially one that's operating, you know, legit and paying taxes and um, paying people and paying for equipment and paying for training, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, it's not like every every transaction that goes through is going straight into the, the profit account. A lot of that, you know, majority of that, vast majority of it is spent on on the operation. Yeah, yeah. And I think with, you know, with millennials and Gen Z and just younger generations who patronize shops now, it's it's less about getting the work done because, you know, I watched my parents put their cars in the shop and it's like, okay, the price is the price, just fix my car. Whereas now it's like almost this experience. Like I've got to feel something when I go to your shop. You've got to make me feel a certain way. You've got to, you know, make sure that I understand everything to a T. The shop has to look a certain way. Like I've got to get these warm fuzzies. You, is that yep. something that you also recognize? Yeah, so we did a lot of uh, digging on what our, you know, avatar would be for a, a perfect customer. And we have a lot of women that come through, a lot of stay-at-home moms and um, single parents. We're in a military area, so we have a lot of military that come through as well. Um, what we kind of identified is it's a middle-aged mom, um, either stay-at-home mom or working mom or or something like that. So all of our facilities are are built in a way that's comfortable for them. You know, it's going to be a nice bathroom where it's not like you're walking into a porta potty or anything like that. Um, there's a comfortable waiting room with HGTV playing, just something that makes them, you know, comfortable, puts them at ease, um, and and is not a, an uncomfortable situation at all. You know, this this industry has a really bad reputation of taking advantage of people, um, primarily women, um, and all of our processes are put in place to make sure that the customer knows when we're recommending any kind of a service that it truly is needed. Um, backed up with <clears throat> respectful conversation. Um, you know, we're not overly pushy in sales. We recommend what's needed and we're firm um, with that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of other things as well that, you know, I'm not going to, you know, twist your arm and tell you you need to flush your power steering fluid or you're going to, your car's going to blow up or anything like that. Um, and backing all that with a digital inspection, um, including pictures and write-ups from the technician and stuff like that is of the utmost importance now um, because in a lot of cases, in the majority of cases, the people that we are serving don't have any idea how their car works and they don't want to know. They just want to know someone who can can they can trust to do what's necessary to keep it on the road and keep them and their family safe. Um, and that's that's really the the utmost importance in this industry is is earning trust and then leveraging trust to serve the customer. All right. So why is it why is now a great time 
you know, for young guys like yourself to get involved in the auto industry, for guys who have that business savvy, who may say, hey, look, I want to try something different, or guys who are young technicians who've been around maybe, you know, throughout their 20s and now they're going into their 30s and maybe they want to try their hand at ownership. Why is now a great time to do that? Well, I think we all know that for a, a long time now, um, parents have been steering their kids away from the trades um, to more college educated roles and stuff like that. And we have a, a top heavy society right now. We have a lot of college educated um, people who can't, can't find a job within their, uh, their field of education, um, who are just doing stuff to make ends meet for the time being while the trades are significantly underserved. You know, everybody in, in automotive repair offices where my um, experience lies, um, it's harder than ever now to find technicians, especially qualified guys who, um, who can go in there and do really high quality work. And they're commanding an extreme premium in the marketplace. Um, you know, we have guys who are making six figures being um, technicians and, and, and they're young. I mean, these are, you know, guys in the late twenties, early thirties with really good skill sets um, who are, are commanding a lot of money on the open marketplace. Um, and so first of all, it's, it's a good financial investment at this point to get into, um, you know, being a technician to be able to support your family because there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, from an ownership perspective, the, I think that if you, if you have what it takes and you're comfortable taking, taking risks, that there's nothing better than, than being an owner. You know, it's really going to, it allows you schedule flexibility. Um, it allows you to have a kind of a large impact on those you lead and those that you serve um, in the community as well. Um, it's great, you know, being an employee and if you find a company that meshes with kind of your thought process and stuff like that, um, you know, you can do a lot of good, but the amount of good that you can do as a business owner is just a little different um, and the, the scope is bigger um, and we're able to have a lot of uh, a positive impact on on our community and, and the people that choose um, to work for us. You know, at the end of the day, when I lay my head down at night, I know that there are, you know, 35 to 40 people um, out there looking for, looking at me to make the correct decisions to make sure their family is taken care of. And that's a lot of responsibility. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of pride that comes along with making the correct decisions um, to be able to make sure that's happening and that their families are taken care of.